0: His Illegal Self is Peter Carey's tenth novel. In the book, a young woman called Dial, who has just landed her dream job teaching at Vassar College, finds herself on the run through a sequence of events linked to her past. With her is seven-year-old Che, who believes she is his mother. They'll soon find themselves half a world away from Che's Upper East Side home in a hippie community in rural Queensland. I mentioned to Peter that one critic had said, Peter Carey has a thing about outlaws, and asked him if he thought there was truth in that.
1: Well, I guess so, but, uh, but it's not something like... It's one of those things that one has pointed out to one. And you go, what, me? I mean, it's a similar sort of observation that you know, when, when people said, well, you know, your books are full of orphans, and why is that? And, uh, and uh, thinking about that particular question, I started to think, well, maybe it's because I went away to boarding school so young and when I began to write, I sort of... I, I eliminated families in, in many ways and killed off parents. And I always thought I was doing it to make life easy for myself you know, and to construct the world. But maybe that's... So So I don't feel very grateful for that insight, frankly, because I do continue to do it. And I'd rather, I'd rather think I was inventing things than being the sort of creature of my past. And there are sort of some sort of superficial things, but I don't know if they're superficial... Not about why one likes outlaws. On, I think I like people that break the rules. It might mm. be better. I mean, I I love, and my father was very like this too. I like to say what you're not allowed to say, and so maybe there's a sort of a there and in the fact and the notion of probably my first great liar was Herbert Badgery in Illiwacker, who is a hundred and thirty-nine year old liar mm. who begins it, and he. Sort of really grew out of two things. One, one is some sort of memory of my paternal grandfather and some of his relations, who were not really liars, but they were sort of uh, small-scale entrepreneurs. And there was a brother who passed bad checks. And, uh, but really, I loved the notion of that liar because it allowed me to do something fictionally that, mm. I, that I could keep this character, who I really like very much, and keep him alive forever. He could he could talk in uh, he could be a first person narrator. He didn't have to have been in a room to tell you what happened there. So that sort of character allows me tremendous invention. So all of these th- sort of things that and they overlap and they're never quite the same, but there is a sort of a general pattern. And so they say, look, well, it's trending in a certain way. <laughs> and uh, you know, I like the notion of the uh, of the fake uh, in. Uh, My life is a fake where a poet is invented and then comes to life and I like that because That seems to me about the power of the imagination that this poet really was invented and we remember him And he's part of Australian life and to think that he would really physically come to life like Frankenstein's monster was glorious to me So lots of different but the thing that I keep on leaving out the thing that I don't say when I'm saying this when I'm saying There are so many different reasons and they're not the same is that um, I think and I'm going to come back to an Australian thing but I don't want to make it cheap and I don't want to make it easy and I don't I certainly don't want to say well we are here with with this nation that sort of began with a you know concentration camp for criminals or people who've been arrested and therefore I've got a great fondness for these things but yet I think that we do in Australia have a sort of a fondness for the outlaw the person that's against and it's a deep deep feeling within the society and we love Ned Kelly because we believe that you know Ned Kelly sort of in some sense represented us and that Ned Kelly had faced you know unfairness and injustice and committed himself with great dignity and style and character uh, people say lazily that he was he was a violent murderer but in fact he wasn't at any of those things he wasn't violent he's not a very violent man at all so we love him for those sort of historical reasons. I think we you know, remember people loving conf- hearing about the, the uh, this is a teenager, I remember, you know, with a gang of Australian confidence men had just passed, cut a suede through London. Mm. And we loved that. Mm. And I think that's a very colonial thing, you know, of, of, of having sort of with our native cunning and our skill managed to trick those people who we always felt a little inferior to who we felt patronized by and so on. So I suppose you would say it's the, you know, you start to put these things together. It is something to do with the colonial history, the colonial experience in its different forms that makes one like these sorts of people. The particular, the particular title, you know, it's it's unfortunate in a way, you know, that I've, I've had these Know, theft, a love story and, uh, and uh, my life is a fake and now uh, his illegal mm. self. And God knows what I wasn't really, really seriously thinking about illegality in the law or the way in which these people are on the run and underground. But I was thinking about my youngest son who, when we lived in the in the country, in the in the Catskills in the UK, it's US, not the UK on walking down to the trading post in this sort of very mm. rural area was always rather concerned if he went down with his friends about illegal drivers and, uh, it's, mm. there were rednecks and there were illegal yeah. drivers and, and, and so on. So in a, a fu- in, a, in a funny way it, it's that level what I like that level of sort of misunderstanding about illegality and, and my fondness for him crept into this sort of title about this thing about
0: a boy the other thing i saw that you had said about this book is that it had really started out with an image of mm. a woman and a boy mm. on a road and i wonder if you could say a little bit about how it had just stated from from that sort of single image
1: well of course nothing starts quite as simply as that there was a sort of part of it is an incident in, in, in you know 30 years ago in australia when i was living in this hippie community where as this gorgeous, lovely thing where no one ever asks you what you do. And he's very nice. You live somewhere and no one asks you what you do. Mm. And they really, because mm. you're just there. Anyway, well, so this American guy came and he was perfectly pleasant. From and, uh, and he lived there for a while. And then one day there was this huge police raid with helicopters and whatever. We were not used to the helicopters too much. And um, he was wanted apparently, for conspiracy to import cocaine into the United States right. and had come to Australia where he thought he was at the end of the earth. So, firstly, I was always interested in that, that he, he'd he arrived in, in, in Bielke Peterson's Queensland, and it was really, literally, not melodramatically, a police state. So, if you're going to run, it's not really a smart... Anyway, he thought he, he was in forest, he was off the... And the other thing, there were a lot of comic things that happened as we... Went around with jars full of twenty-cent pieces, trying to ring his lawyer in Galveston, Texas, and ask him coded questions because we thought everyone was listening to our conversations from satellites. And and, I, and I'd always sort of thought I'd like to write. I liked the environment. I liked the place. It seemed there would be something there, but that's not an idea for a book. And I certainly didn't want to write about anything that really happened or that particular character. So I started to think well you know maybe it's a woman and maybe it's a child that's and i had a pick you know in living in that area in those days there were always hippie mothers with single mothers on mm. the road you know going between, to a festival or something and there's these little boys trudging with their hippie mothers and the little boys were always so fiercely protective of their mothers and so any the new lovers who arrived always had to deal mm. with the little boy mm. you know so I thought of them and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really know who they were. I didn't know what their relationship was to each other. They had to be American because that was part of what it was. And I had this sort of image in my head of, of uh, when, when there's a cyclone coming, everybody flees the area and those sort of people to beaches mm. and things. Kind of, and you'd have this sort of huge sort of stormy sky. It was really scary and cars coming only one way with their lights yeah. on in the middle of the day. So I just thought it was like that and then going the other way. And I knew they were going to get picked up by these characters. I didn't really know what role those characters.
0: Uh, I didn't know what role Trevor, who becomes very important in the book, was going to play. Hmm. But the time was was a sort of the historical moment. Was that something that very, very early on was fixed in your mind when I began
1: to write it that image is that what you mean yeah yeah that when I began, that's the place I began to write mm. but until then, of course I'm thinking about all sorts of things and I'm reading about the weatherman and I'm doing this and uh, because but we it, should, but it, we we should say the place
0: book, to start the book takes place in the early in 1972 yeah. after that sort of first wave of countercultural student resistance mm. Mm and the sort of living with a fallout of some of that in, in in many ways in the book
1: Yes, absolutely Well, I don't know when the, you know I think the Symbionese Liberation Army was still active at mm. that time and I don't know what time Yeah, so It was not all over in 72 but uh, I needed to invent a reason why they were on the run Yeah And this was the reason that I invented it, and it was interesting to me because not in Queensland, but in Melbourne during the Vietnam War. I'd been sort of involved in the anti-war movement, not in a sort of an important role, but still on the board of the moratorium. Mm. I was a dog's body, really, but I was on the board. So it means, yeah, you sort of know all these different people doing different things. Mm. And, you know, I had friends who were mouse and friends who were trots and friends who Mm. were, you know, communists and my mouse friends would tell me I was going to be shot after the revolution quite cheerfully. when was in the thing when one really believed there really was gonna be a revolution, one really might get shot and get blah blah blah. So I was interested in, in, in exploring that time, but of course then I had to explore it in the United States where I hadn't lived
0: during that time. Yeah. I wanted to go on to ask you about the two characters through through whose eyes we see most of what mm. happens in the book. One is the young boy mm. who believes he's he's eight years old. He's mm. been raised by his grandmother on the Upper East mm. Side in New York, a very I think you described it as a Victorian background. And the woman, he believes, is his mother, who's known as Dial mm. in the book, who, who goes with him to Australia. And you, you use their two sort of perspectives quite a lot, mm. and you sort of shift in and out of those. And I wanted to ask you about how you, how you sort of orchestrated that, or how you found a way to, to make, especially the young boys' sort of consciousness perce- perceptions mm. credible.
1: I mean, there were a lot, number of stages in this. The first thing that I did and in, in my initial... Desire was to write a book completely from the boy's point of view and I think maybe there was something in that that was sort of protective of my own foreignness and not being American and not understanding things that I could take refuge in mm. a child's perspective for time and, mm. and get things wrong and, I, and in my mind it was really being narrated by the grown-up man who was in, 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 inhabiting his memory of what it was like yes. to be a child so it's a, quite a complicated yeah. thing to be going on but it pushed the language in an interesting way that I really liked, and I was very, I very, I stubbornly adhered to it, it was, even when it was, the I knew there was something not working. It didn't really start to click, to answer the first part of the hmm. question, I think, until I knew what Dial knew, and I knew where she'd been, and I knew what her background was, but I hadn't written it. It started to get very boring simply from not having enough information and so i really needed dial's perspective and i needed dial's life and i needed to know the reader to know what was at risk for her and all that sort of stuff and so when the moment of time when i finally gave in and began to do that mm. uh the book really clicked the thing of, of actually inhabiting the boy's perspective was not really particularly difficult for me to do after all we are meant to do this you know I mean we are meant to imagine what it is to be other and if I'm a man I'm meant to be able to write from the you know as a woman and if I'm whiter from being black many people think you shouldn't do these things but I think this is what we mm. this is what we
0: are but do but you think I, doing it from the perspective of a child presents particular difficulties because you've got to rein in so many things or no. and, and yet be convincing because I think people I've never been a woman but I
1: have been a child, mm. and so in terms of placing yourself in the in that uh, position, well, I I, I I didn't find it a stretch. I mean, it's like you know people. When I wrote True History of the Kelly Gang, people said really wasn't it terribly restrictive to be limited by Ned Kelly's vocabulary and Ned Kelly's intellectual or bookish lack of lack of lack of literary education. So. Well, no, because it's the very, it's a very uh, restriction, I think, that really pushes the language into interesting ways mm. and makes... And after all, when we talk about all of these things, you know, and about story and character, and the, the real point of the book is to you know, have the reader swimming in a river of words, and that, that's how the words work and how mm. the words sing that really is the thing, and that's why a plot synopsis is the most stupid thing on earth because it just eliminates everything you know like the pleasure of reading finding out what's going to happen next and swimming in that river of words so the thing that's very attractive about writing from the boy's point of view is being able to push the language into somewhere new so it's very very attractive Mm. and that's I never thought about the difficulty of it I just thought what can I do to push and twist it and Can that make something new and interesting the 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 thing that is well it breaks the rules It breaks of what you're meant to do you know is in terms of continually switching point of view you know within a chapter or within a where you have the child's point of view and the next second you find yourself in dial's point of view Mm. you're not meant to really do that i think but
0: People do it. I think it's a, one of the great attractions of the book that yeah. that that those transitions and yeah. and also one of the other linguistic pleasures for me in reading the book was your descriptions of Australian nature and the situation in which they find themselves yeah. in. It's very very sort of rich but very sort of compact descriptions. You talk about inky green forests and banana leaves like like moving like fingers mm. and and afternoon slow and thick like ants. And I, I wondered if that was. If that was something you'd had to, to work on carefully to get that to pitch it the just thi- right,
1: I think the thing that produces those things is firstly just emotionally a, a sort of a, a certain intensity of feeling and almost impatience, and of course me- memory, but one prepared to portray memory at any second to make something work, but most particularly. An increasing desire that I have to sort of get rid of everything that isn't doing something and if you get rid of you cut off the fat until you just in the end you, you're left with a thing you want to say and then you want to nail it to the next thing you want to say and if you can do that you'll you may make something new and mm. you may make something quite beautiful and still be coherent, of course, and still yes. not leave the. Re- re- so the, the 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 sort of distillation or the cutting away is something I've sort of become rather obsessed with, and
0: is a great source of pleasure too. It seemed to me that the language had both richness, but also economy, and that's quite a difficult that's quite a yeah. difficult one to, to to pull off on the same page. Partly, you know,
1: I I, te- I teach gra- graduate creative writing in New mm. York City, and I used to think I used to be sort of rather resentful about it because. I thought I should be reading great literature, not this crap. But I think now with the sort of students that I've got and the work that they're doing and my involvement with it and the way in which I try to help them and collaboratively help them, I I think I've become a much better writer for doing it, which isn't what I thought at first. I thought I was wasting my Mm. time. Now I think I've benefited hugely and I think a lot of it's to do with just getting rid of every word that is not doing anything for you and finding the new because you've done
0: that and is it is it about being more self-conscious or having to articulate the uh, the, the rules by which your own sort of internal rules by which you're operating that's Oh you, you mean a teaching I have yes. to I have to articulate to the students
1: yes, yes I, th- I think so uh, I think for my yes absolutely you have to sort of explain why that mm. is better and why it is better to get rid of that and what you mm. get as a result of getting that and to illustrate it. But of course, for oneself, when writing it's so, in, it's so deeply internalised, the one is not in the least self-conscious yes. about it.
0: Yeah. Mm. Can you say a bit about Dial? Because she is really the mainspring of, of the book, because there's a moment in the book where she could take this child back to his grandmother and there would be no book, mm. or she can press on and that leads to the, 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 a whole sequence of things and you were talking earlier about how you had to sort of flesh out dials past in order to sort mm, of understand mm. and the book is a sort of, an, a sort of gradual uncovering of, mm. of moments. Can you sort of say a bit about how, how, those, um, how those sort of layers become?
1: Well the, one of the first question was about the, she could have gone back. I don't think she could have gone back. I think by the time by the time she's in Philadelphia and she's being accused of kidnapping mm. and the other woman's house is blown up and they're all on television. Mm. I think she figures she hasn't... Uh, the, the, I, I think her choice is the logical cho- choice. I believe if she'd mm. got back to New York City she would have been in prison.
0: And that's certainly what she tells herself, isn't it? it? That's how she replays Some it. But, it in her but, head I belie- but
1: I believe that. Mm. I
0: mean, I be- uh, of course,
1: I want her to go on. But one of my experiences of writing is that you cannot have characters doing things simply because the writer wants them to do it. And really, if I want to think about what my process of writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting is, is to to have a sort of a bullshit detector set to a very, very sensitive Mm. point. And one asks, how would it really be? What would it really be like? If you are really in this situation, what are you really going to do? And I think in my drafts, over and over and over again, I'm sort of refining that. And through refining that, discovering character. Because if you're going to insist that the person that acts like this, acts not just not because the writer wants them to do it, but for, for something a bit more substantial than that, then I think you're going to discover interesting mm-hmm. and complicated character and i think every every you know the the next people that she goes to see they don't want her there at all because she's going to bring the fbi down on them and they get her out of there so i think the i think the steps of her departure from her Vasa life to the point where she's on a plane to australia to me anyway uh, have been very seriously questioned and cross-examined over and mm-hmm. over and over again. And I, I think that they work and they're reasonable. Finding out who she was, finding out who, dialogue, I mean, there's a number of, sort of in, my, in my head, sort of requirements for what she be. Mm. Yeah, that somehow or other she's been at Harvard, but that she's absolutely not,
0: she shouldn't be. She's not of their social no, world no, at all, is she? She's, no, she's not. immigrant parents had to work yeah. hard. South Boston. I mean, that's really South Boston.
1: Really, really, really tough and poor. You do not expect someone from South Boston, you know, to get a, an education, let alone mm. end up there. So I needed, a, I needed a sort of a, a journey, and I needed, and I wanted, I wanted her father to be a real communist who'd really fought in. Greece, Greece, and um, and that he would be a different person to the sort of the revolution, the rich revolution, at at Harvard. So her life starts to get formed around these sort of things. How can you really, really go from South Boston? Why? What steps could you possibly do that? What does the father do? She gets made in those sort of, but yet she's got to be have this relationship with these rich people, and what's mm. the basis of it? And if it's So there has to be something in Dial that keeps her, in spite of whatever political sense she has, uh, attracted to them personally, attracted later to their sort of fame. And so, you know, like if it's when Susan Selkirk, who she doesn't really like, asks her, will she do this favor? It's like she's sort of flattered. It's like Bruce Springsteen called her yeah or something and she's doing and yet you know that she's sort of like that you know her mother has always been a little like that too and we're all of us a little bit like that that if someone immensely famous asks us personally to do something we might be inclined to be flattered Mm. and go along with it so all of these things are like her character is being built of course by all of the things that she will be required
0: to do and she, she keeps saying this is not my life doesn't she, that sort of or, or what's that effect, she keeps it, when she finds herself in Australia she sort of keeps mm. it at arm's length by sort of saying this is not my life, I'm not supposed to be here I'm, I'm supposed to be well, a professor at Vassar
1: well she spent her whole life really getting to that point mm. where she's in that room having that interview at Vassar and mm. looking out at the lawns and the people cleaning up the leaves off the lawns mm. and, and, and uh, because it's impossible, I mean she's done the thing really that her parents wanted her to do mm. and that she wanted to do and she's escaped south boston she's there and then suddenly she's in this hippie community in australia with and uh, with trevor you know who can't read
0: mm. she can't even speak
1: properly and how could that be her life
0: you mentioned trevor earlier and it seemed to me reading the reviews the reviewers had all talked about the relationship between dial and the boy mm. And it seemed to me they'd sort of missed something because it seemed to me that Trevor becomes a more and more important part mm. of the book, and by the end is the sort of triangular yes, relationship, and they're, they're all being pulled in different ways. Yes. And, and well, presumably that's something that you, you know, that you very consciously that was that was well th- the plan one finds f- it. it wasn't the plan at the beginning mm. one finds
1: it and shapes it and, and indeed yes it's exactly you know what it is it's, it is absolutely the three of them. As I said, you know, when I was writing at the very beginning and the Trevor's in the car, I didn't know quite what was going to mm. happen one has a sort of a sense of it. But I did think of if Trevor as a but, but boy had been in uh, Dr. Bernardo's home and that's that orphan. He's thing. also an orphan, <laughs> yes. And, and he makes that sort of, you know, more or less accurate assumption that Che is in a sense an orphan too. Mm. He sort of misunderstands that as well. And like many people have gone through things, you know, that way Trevor himself didn't really know quite what was going on. He thinks, he passionately believes that Che has a right to know, you know, about what his situation, and in which case he's sort of precipitous and, and, and damaging and uh, all sorts of things. But he becomes a he becomes a dramatic force within the story. And he's a, he's a sort of a social misfit, of a sort he's certainly very he's sort of paranoid or maybe quite sensible given his life that he's made him making himself independent and so no one can get him and so on he seems unlikely and unkind and dial doesn't like him really and we just think he's some sort of sleazy thief but he's actually he's he's, he's kind to Hmm. the boy and uh, the boy knows that he's sort of dangerous and weird but somehow trusts him
0: And were you drawing, when you created this hippie community, which Mm. provides some sort of funny and bizarre moments in the book, were you you there drawing on 20-year-old memories?
1: You know, one will use anything. Basically, I think the thing is that when one's writing, it's like, you you know, if I was in this room and all the things that are in this room, from waste paper baskets and briefcases and jugs of water and computers, were all I had to play with, and that's what I would use to... Mm. To make something up, and it wouldn't be to serve the same purpose that they serve in this room, if you know what I mean. So, yes. so yes, of course, one draws on scraps of this and this and that. Particularly the, I mean, the landscape. Absolutely, I drew on. There are no people there, because the people who I knew when when I lived there very happily, I must say, were not suitable to serve the purposes of this story. Uh, so the 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 characters are made by the story. I. There are bits of things, that uh, the scraps of things from life. I remember sitting in a meeting while we discussed whether someone was allowed to have a cat there. And uh, people t- reading the business with the cat, which we will not give away particularly, but tend to think that the hippies were fascist. Well, I always thought about us. We could never enforce anything. We had a rule there were no cats. And that's because you have people trying to live in this environment. The cat's alien to the environment. The cat kills the birds. The cat really has no place there. Mm and there is a conflict about that this in the in the book in real life the real life of the meetings that we had about somebody's cat no one could do anything to the cat the cat would have them have the rule have the meeting and then everything would go Mm. on as before i always thought that that was ridiculous myself sitting there as a member but no no one was ever going to do anything no one could ever make a rule for anybody because everyone was so against authority and people doing all of that but so there is a very dramatic thing involving a cat in this but that comes from my wicked imagination not from anything in in life
0: and i just wanted finally to ask you about the politics in the book and the fact that quite far on in the book chase says the war was really responsible in vietnam was sort of really responsible for everything that had happened so he said he sort of sees this causality but in the book itself the the politics vietnam watergate it's all it's all very remote and the the ripples are very 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 sort of subtle and it it, i mean and that that for me was a was was a great strength the fact you could see these these sort of tiny filaments but you you never sort of go up close and have a sort of political discussion or you never sort of set it out in any kind of well they're they're the
1: water that the characters are swimming in and they're all there i mean i think it's written with a you know quite a with a lot of thought about the politics of the time and the environment of the time, but I'm not there. It's not in that sense a political mm. book, but all of the characters are shaped and touched and affected. It's just not that the politics are not at the at the yeah. front, in the foreground. They're in the background and they're they're outside the frame, affecting how people are yeah. and how they think. And the really interesting thing about that, uh, for me, or the discovery for me, was to find that many people who'd lived through those times or and even people that haven't have sort of thought that it was a very convincing portrait of the time mm. and and of course in the all the self-questioning one does in in, in writing you know well I'm, I'm very well aware that i didn't make it center and i expected to be criticized <laughs> for, for not having made it more you know overtly mm. political
0: peter carey thank you very much thank you